right, guys, welcome back to another edition of This Week in College Football brought to you by CFB Talk Daily. Today is Saturday, April 18th. Uh, still quarantined, so there's not a lot of uh, news going around. That's big-time news. A little, obviously, it's a slow offseason right now, slower than most. But I know John, in these trying times, has himself a bone to pick. So we can start with the bone you need to pick, John. Get it out. All right, so I'm not sure if you guys have seen, but there's been a group of road dogs running wild through the Twitter sphere. And um, they keep fake committing top fives. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout-out to Butch McGuire. He's about to fake commit at fake commit tonight. He actually DM'd us to let us know about how good it's going to be because he said, wait till you see my commitment video. We'll be the best of 2020. EA character or real. And uh, I just think, at first, I was kind of uh, against this, actually. But now I think it's kind of funny that they're, like, really going all out with it. So um, I don't really have a bone to pick anymore. See, uh, when I saw the first, the first, like, fake account that I saw was the kid with the Northern Illinois coach. And when I saw that, I was like, all right, like, this kid's peaked. Like, he's done now. Like, this is, oh, that was the height of the funny it kind of sucks because it's not going to get any better. There's not going to be a big program uh, to really jump in. And then the Longhorns came in. <laughs> and Texas's recruiting director retweeted one of their tweets about the fake account uh, receiving an offer from Texas. So I was wrong. Texas got in on the fun. Uh, I just think that this is hysterical to me that if you think about it, all these college coaches are going to have to have like a Zoom meeting to discuss this. Like, imagine being in, like, like imagine being a coordinator at Alabama and Nick Saban has to address recruiting fake players to Alabama's football program. So, uh, these people are spending their quarantine uh, very well. I, I think that this is a great use of their time. Uh, me and John actually just said that I don't know how we didn't think of this ourselves. So props to them yeah. for getting on this bandwagon. Because I think it's hysterical. I've, I've actually seen some that are fake coaches now. So I think this is going to take off into something maybe a little uh, out of the realm that I thought it was going to go. So I'm, I'm actually pretty excited to follow this fake, uh, f- fake football. Yeah, I mean, uh, so am I. And uh, talking, you said something that actually caught my attention, like, a lot. So you said that Saban's going to have to do a Zoom thing, right? Like, like one of those Zoom calls. Yeah. And uh, first of all, I'm not sure if Saban's at the level of Zoom yet. A lot of people may not know, but Nick Saban just got into the world of email. So uh, Zoom may be in, like, 10, 15 years down the road for Saban. (laughs) Saban's going to discover Zoom when, like, there's another video conferencing platform out that like completely blows away everything else and he's gonna go in and be like all right guys let's jump on a zoom meeting and then be like, yeah coach Saban, that was about 25 years ago <laughs> he's gonna be like all right boys i'm ready to recruit facetime hey, recruiter nick saban hey guys i just saw this thing where these cars charge themselves like coach Saban, it is 2035 and cars run on water now yeah that's funny but uh, so actually i wasn't even gonna talk about the Saban thing that just popped up in my head right there because I know we're going to talk about that a little separately. But um, so Reddit, I was on Reddit the other day and someone said that since there's going to be team meetings on Zoom now, 
what if a team sent like a walk on like Cole Murphy, for example, academic weapon turns a zoom spy on another team's team meeting. <laughs> Just... I mean, you got to figure there's going to be one kid on the team who, you know, he's disgruntled with the program because he's a third string quarterback in his junior year after being told he'd be a starter. He's going to give away the code to some, you know, some clown. So I, I would love to be in the room with like, well, I feel like if you, if you go into old misses, but Mike Leach like that, that'd be pretty funny. <laughs> like Mike Leach would be so bamboozled of some random kid. <laughs> Dude, they don't they don't know the walk-ons there's no way well and then because i watched the 24 7 sports the hbo documentary with when leach was at washington state and they talked to the punter and they were like how much do you talk to leach and he's like i don't think i've talked to leach more than five times and the kid's like a junior at the time so if you go into the thing and say you're a punter like leach might be sold because he doesn't use punters yeah, no. So see, that's funny because uh, we had Caleb Fossum on. I mean, that guy's never really talked to Leach at all, and he there he was eating lunch with Mike Leach every day. Like, yeah, that's uh, that's I, funny. I would love to see the reaction of like a Texas team meeting, like led by Herman. And then all of a sudden, it just says Lincoln Riley has joined the chat, and it's just Lincoln Riley sitting there, like, "What's up, coach? What's going on? Yeah, <laughs> right. Planning for Oklahoma." <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about some recruiting for this week. Uh, I want to start off up north where uh, Michigan is not recruiting the best in the Big Ten North. It's actually Minnesota. They got a four-star corner, Stephen Ortez Jr. He's from Arizona. And uh, he was the highest-rated DB commit of all Minnesota history. Wait, you said, high- did you mean to say Big Ten North? Yeah, yeah, I was like Big Ten up north, not like a Big Ten. Okay, like, you know what I mean? Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, it's e- I know, I know. Right. Sorry. Um, and then today, out of nowhere, four-star Avante Dickerson from Omaha, Nebraska, a corner, commits to Minnesota and becomes their second highest commit ever. He's almost a five-star. And uh, I don't know what, what's happened. What is P.J. Fleck doing? Where did he get this money? I don't know. Because me and you talked about this yesterday because it's, I think I've been very out in the open about how much I dislike P.J. Fleck. And I, I want to readdress this because in any time I talked about P.J. Fleck, I always – I've never said that he's not a good coach. So I want to make it known now. So any, any trolls don't come at me and say, you said this, you're an idiot. Like, I never said he wasn't a good coach. I don't like P.J. Fleck as a person. As a good coach, I've always said he's a good coach. I still don't like P.J. Fleck. <laughs> I still don't like him. Yeah, no, you've always said that. For some reason, you just have a personal vendetta against them. So, I, I, I don't know what it is. I just don't like P.J. Fleck. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe he's just ugly. No, I, 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 I remember. I know what it is. Like his first year at Minnesota, like before the first season, he was like, "There are some changes that need to happen in this program. Uh, changes need to be made." Kind of ripped. I remember the, that the previous regimen. And in the first year, with the same players that the coach before him had, he did worse. So that always just stuck out to me. Like that kind of, he came in and was like, "I'm going to be the man." And the guy who was here before me, he was not the man. And then he comes in and performs terribly. Obviously, now he's performed significantly better. But I still don't like PJ Fleck. So are are you changing your mind a little bit now that he's actually like um? Starting. Well, you cut out a little bit. Ask that again. 
So, uh, are you starting to change your mind a little bit on the PJ Fleck thing now that he's starting to see some results at least recruiting wise? And I mean, last year they had a pretty good season. No, because I mean that that still is coaching, and I've said he's a good coach. I mean, he got it done at Western Michigan, and he's gotten it done now at Minnesota. So, I mean, I've always said that he's a good coach. I mean, I've said that every time I've ripped PJ Fleck, it's always been he's a good coach. But I still don't like the person of PJ Fleck. No, I, you you are right about that. You've always made it very clear that it's the personality that, that you don't like more than, well, yeah, pretty much more than anything. It's the same thing with like James Franklin. Like I don't like James Franklin as a person. I think that as a as a coach, he's he's obviously a great coach. He's you know a lot of people talked about him as you know he's obviously a top ten coach. But I think they I think it was the game against Akron two years ago. They were up like fifty two to six and. He called the timeout just so he could get his field goal block unit on the field with, like, three seconds left. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, just let the clock run out. Let Akron get their money and leave. Like, no one's going to hold the vendetta against you because you beat Akron 52-6 to six instead of 55-6. to six. Or, you know, whatever it was. Yeah, I remember that. That always had you uh, bent out of sheet for some reason. And then I, I think he said something about Rutgers his first year there. They, you know, they obviously piss pounded Rutgers. And he said something. Someone was like, you know, preparation ball. And he said, well, we don't prepare for this game like we do any other game like against Ohio State. Like, why, why do you say that, dude? Just shut up. <laughs> All right. Um. So we got to talk about Penn State next. Uh, they had a pretty good re- week recruiting. I believe they got three four stars and a, a three star commit this week. Uh, a pair of brothers and uh, Jaywin Reed. Uh, so uh, James Franklin, very good FaceTime recruiter? Question mark? I mean, I, I, I'm going to say it again. It's not the coaching James Franklin. I don't like person. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. But like this kind of goes to the point we've talked about a few times uh, with Rutgers being as high as they are right now recruiting. And obviously that affects me because I'm a huge Rutgers fan. Well, I don't expect them to stay here. I think things like this are going to happen. You know, teams like Penn State and Ohio State, Michigan, they're going to have weeks in a row where it's like, you know, Rutgers' best week this uh, this recruiting period. You know, they're going to land four three stars in a day or something stupid. You know, th- those mm-hmm. are the teams that are going to do that. So I don't expect the longevity of the top ten class to stay. Okay, that's but, a f- fair point. I don't understand that. Yeah, yeah, that's just my just what I'm saying. That's my, that's right. my site on it. All right. So now, real quick, I'm just going to go down something real quick for you. I'm going to read it to you. You can tell me your reaction. All right. But first off, I'm going to let you finish. But Mac Brown has the greatest North Carolina recruiting class of all time. Just, Is that a question or a statement? <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a statement. I'm like, I'm like Kanye West. I'm telling you that it's the greatest class of all time for them. Yeah. Uh, so so I mean, far. I mean, Matt, well, the job he's done is you, – you can't dispute that he's done not a good job, a fantastic job at UNC since he's, since he's been back. Uh, they only have – they have 14 commits at the moment, and only three of them are not four stars or up, which is kind of nuts. For where UNC was a few years ago to now, I mean, Larry Fedora uh, sucked ass. I'm not going to lie. Larry Fedora was not great. Yeah, no, Fedora obviously did not. I mean, you you look at what uh, Mac Brown did in his first, not even his first season. Before the first season, he flipped Sam Howell from Florida State. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I don't know. He's no very good. I'm saying I don't know how much of 
into Florida State he was. Like, I think he was going to flip somewhere anyway. Yeah, I mean, but you flip him to UNC. You know, oh, yeah. now you're looking at a guy for two to three years. Probably, you know, two to three years is going to be, you know, your program's quarterback and then something that you can build on and bring someone in, you know, to hopefully to replace him. Although, you know, I don't know how much time Matt Brown has left coaching. Oh, no. That could be the downside to this. I, I hate I hate to say it, but I you know I don't see Mac Brown going on a fifteen year run here at UNC. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know about that either. I think it's a win now kind of situation. Like uh, they've got some expiring deals coming up. Uh, yeah, like they, like they have like they have to be the best <laughs> within the next three years, or else like Mac Brown, you know, Mac Brown's going to start getting into Bill Schneider territory. Yeah, no, I I get that, and then we have Mac Brown watch uh, every kick return, blocked kick, big big interception, blown call. You know, then he starts to get worried about his heart. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But what I want to talk about, I was actually going to give you some credit because when Mac Brown first got hired, we talked about it on the podcast. I wasn't sold. I thought age was going to be a problem uh, in recruiting. Uh, that really went well, right? Great take there. And you said he was going to kill it. And uh, you were right. I was wrong. Oh, I appreciate I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, no, I fully own up to that, that you had the right take with that one. Uh, I re-listened to it, I believe, yesterday or the day before. I'm not sure. But I said I wasn't sold on his age. I didn't know how much time he had left. Thought guys weren't going to commit because of it. Clearly, I'm just an idiot, right? <laughs> And, and that that particular take is funny to me because it, obviously the followers wouldn't know this, but obviously me and you and our closest friends know when it comes to what we do on the Twitter, everything recruiting is you. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And, and like one of the first big takes on recruiting, me of all people get right. Because <laughs> I don't follow recruiting like you do. That's you know, not my repertoire. No. Uh, it's not your repertoire, but you know enough about it. I mean, like, you know, you know the big things. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like, like you, and I tell my dad this because there are times where, like, I tell my dad things that, like, you say and you predict, and he's like blown away. I'm like, Dad, like, you could probably ask John about some three-star linebacker from Iowa who doesn't have an offer bigger than Northern Illinois, and John would tell you about him. And like, and like that, that's how like you are with it. Where like me, if you're not a four star, I really don't know who you are. And even then, like you, I really probably don't know who you are until it gets close to your commitment day. Unless it's signing day, I'm big on signing day. I did, I had a good day signing day this year. Yeah, you did. Yeah, uh, I, listen, listen, you're like, you're like a, you're like um, you're a jackhammer. We bring you in when things get tough. Yeah, like when I need to be there, I am. But recruiting, you know, when, when if you said like, hey Matt, well for fun, do you want to do recruiting? Like I. I'd be like, ah, I don't know. But when you were like, yo, like I have work, I'm not going to be able to do it. I need you to do it. I stepped up and I did it. Yeah. I mean, th- this year, I think it's such a big deal now that like I might take off the day of the early signing period. Like I might have to like, um, like take, take the day off. Anyway, what I wanted to move into next was first off, I wanted to say our podcast guest for this episode, Markins and Pierre, great guest. Very excited that we had him on. Yeah, that, that was a very fun interview we had with Mark Simpson. Yeah. All right, so do you want to lead us into our next topic? 
Yeah, so the next thing we're going to talk about is uh, something you actually texted me about. And since we're talking about recruiting, we might as well continue to stay on it. Uh, oh. Tykeson Crawford, four star from Texas. See, I know some things. I told him four star. You you blew that one. Yeah. Tykeese, Tykeese. Um, <coughs> yeah, yeah Tykeese. I, I put his name and Markinson together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, better than Tykeese Tyke West. Uh, so he is. Uh, Charlotte, they lost three offensive linemen uh, to graduation or the NFL this year, and they're bringing in a four-star, 6'5", 335-pound offensive lineman who had 19 Power 5 offers, including Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. Uh, grades were a little bit of a question with him, but he did lead his team to 16-0, and and they went 30-1 and in his uh, junior and senior season. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's massive. This is huge for Charlotte. This is the highest commit of all time. Yeah, he's a high, high four star. I think he's a ninety five on two four seven. I didn't look at his rivals, but he's you know he's almost a five. You know, and for a mid major team, those don't come along too often. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like, that's what I'm saying. This is big for them. Like this is like a very good player. This is like Ed Oliver, but a little bigger. Hopefully, he can keep his grades up, because uh, I'm excited to see what happens with that. I just thought it was something that I wanted to talk about, because it's a little different. Uh, you there? Yeah, 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 I'm here. I'm waiting for you to start it. Um, all right. The, the last thing I wanted to say about this was uh, they had the ninth-ranked recruiting class in the uh, Conference USA. After he committed, guess where they were? Number one. Second. <laughs> one person pumped them up seven spots. <clears throat> I just think that's great. All right, so after all of that talk about uh, high school kids committing, real or fake, uh, we're going to talk about some movement in the college world. Uh, JT Daniels on the move. Yeah, I mean, that, that was it's not the most shocking thing. Because Caden Slavis is probably the future quarterback for LSU, uh, USC. Sorry, he almost said LSU. If Slavis is the future for LSU, something crazy has to happen. Um, but yeah, Daniels, uh, I think he ends up at Michigan. But I've also seen people speculate Tennessee. But I, I don't see it with the Tennessee one. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think right now I see a lot of movement toward Michigan. Uh, obviously, they lose Shea Patterson. He kind of, a lot of people are saying that he would fit right into that offensive scheme, uh, that he would jump right in because he kind of plays like Patterson, which is kind of an insult in my opinion. Uh, but I could see, I saw some reports that earlier in the, uh, I guess the off season, right after the national championship game, LSU was kind of looking into the portal to see what there were for the quarterback options to mm-hmm. obviously replace Joe Burrow. So this could be an option if they want to go in and get another quarterback that's ready to play right now. Uh, he would be the guy they could groom. Um, uh, what's that quarterback? Miles Brennan. Yeah, they could. Yeah, they could groom Brennan for another year. But so here's the thing, right? Because this is the one-time transfer thing. I think if you bring in JT Daniels, I think Miles Brennan's going to transfer. Because he, yeah. you already brought in Burrow to to make him like develop for a year, and now you're going to do it to him again, like. I can only imagine like, that's gotta be so frustrating. If yeah, and, you know, I'm sure they were telling him, you know, obviously Joe's gonna play this year. Next year it's gonna be your team. <clears throat> yeah, you're looking forward to it all year, and then they're like, "Oh, ugh, I hate to break it to you, 
we're going to bring in JT Daniels. And you're yeah, and most certainly is, not going to play over him. And that's something that kind of could be affected by them not having spring practice. I mean, if they've been practicing with him expecting to be the starting quarterback, now there, there's going to be offensive changes. He's going to be there. You know, there's going to be different packages made for him. The offense isn't going to be the same with Burrow. So, you know, now at that point, if they've been practicing for almost a month, they're not going to be looking to bring in JT Daniels. But now because they have him, you know, they this is something that is different for them because they can explore that because they haven't been practicing together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's crazy for that I was looking at before actually is um, there's like a few people still in the transfer portal for quarterbacks. I know this is a little like uh, going like going off onto like uh, in a rabbit hole a little bit, but there's some very talented guys still left. Um, just you know, kind of name some, or do you just yeah, not yeah, want to talk yeah. about it? I'm trying. I'm trying to think of who's out there. Well, uh, Jet Duffy from Texas Tech. Uh, that's an okay one. He's not the best. From Arizona, Dylan Sterling Cole. Uh, Jack Allison, a four-star from West Virginia. Jaron Williams, who you saw play in person. I think you have some. You have a story about him, don't you? Jaron Williams. Miami. It Miami. was the uh, game at Yankee Stadium. I, th- I think he started that game. I think his first two passes were picks. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure you don't like him. I thought that's what you were going to say. but uh, And then the last, there was two more that I found very interesting. Real Mitchell, he was on a QB1, I believe, or uh, under the lights, one of the one of them. That I think QB1 it was that he was on. And there was one more quarterback, but I, I can't find it. Or I mean, maybe he committed and I missed it already. So, uh. Anyway, yeah, like uh, he committed. I was yeah, talking about KJ Costello. Just to like talk about those guys, like it kind of sucks for those guys because they don't have like spring practices. Obviously, like I said, aren't going on, so teams aren't being like, "All right, we need a quarterback. Let's dig into the portal." Like these coaches who were grooming a guy for a year and now waiting for him to take over, like still think that you know said quarterback is going to take over the program when he could, you know, he could like. He could lay an egg when he gets out there. Yeah, you have no idea what you're getting. I mean, so it, that, it could almost be like a uh, McLean Carter situation. Well, McLean Carter got hurt. Don't don't be throwing that name on McLean Carter. Yeah, <laughs> McLean Carter. I Iowa did the quit on the program. The Iowa game didn't do him any justice. He got killed in that game. Quit on the program. All right, so now let's talk about, we tweeted this out, and this was uh, kind of a big debate where we tweeted uh, the Big Ten was better than the SEC. That kind of riled up SEC fans because something you don't, you don't talk about their precious SEC conference like that. So uh, I, I, the first thing we'll talk about is let, let's talk about that idea a little bit, the Big Ten versus the SEC. I'll let you go first because you were the one who engaged in most of the banter. Oh, so you're talking about the uh, the out of conference like challenge kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be awesome. Like, I mean, college basketball does it. Why can't like why can't us football fans get it? Like, I want to see like Ohio State Alabama week one. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I understand why Alabama wouldn't necessarily be fans of it. I'm I sure, I'm sure Ohio State wouldn't want to run into the tide week one either. But it'd be awesome. I feel like. It'd be even more interesting, like, the teams that aren't as good, like the bottom of the conference almost, or the mid-tiers. 
because it'd really give us some clarity onto like you know the the conference strength. If you see like you know Minnesota plays say Kentucky, and if Minnesota blows them out, like yeah, and they're even like even a lower tier team, like the lower tier teams in the Big Ten, like if you think of let's Rutgers. say a team like no, I'm not even saying Rutgers. But let's look Rutgers. at teams like Iowa, a team that's, you know, they're pretty good every year, but they're never at the top of their conference. And then you give them a team like Ole Miss or Mississippi State. Like, that'd be a good game. Mm-hmm. Like, that's an ideal game. Well, I, you know, if you want to do Rutgers, you know, play Rutgers-Arkansas. Let's go back to that. Yeah, I just want to point out that I think Wisconsin would blow out Florida if they played. Yeah, I, I think the I think the top tiers would play very well against each other. I saw a lot of people in the replies, the one guy contradicting himself, saying he was an SEC guy, and he was like, well, who in the um, Big Ten outside of Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan, would consistently beat Alabama, LSU, and Florida? And then, like, the other, the guy who was tweeting that replied and turned it around and was like, all right, outside of those three teams, who would consistently beat Michigan, Ohio State, and Wisconsin? Like, I, I get that. I think the, they're both very top-heavy. Like, not top-heavy, but they're both – Obviously, they have the most talent at the top. It's the middle tiers that I think would play it out and be the arguments. Yeah, uh, those top-heavy games would be great. Like, Alabama obviously would draw Ohio State. It'd probably be Michigan-Georgia, maybe, or Michigan-Florida, because it seems like they're always playing bowl games anyway, so might as well put them together. And then uh, Wisconsin would probably play uh, Georgia, I guess. I mean, that game would have, like, 10 passes combined. Yeah, that, yeah, that would be an old-school football game. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I fully believe, I think the Big Ten's, I wouldn't say better, I think they're equally as good. I don't think the SEC's as good as people make it out to be, though. I, I think the the Big Ten goes through, it fluctuates a couple years. You know, there are some years where, like, um, you know, like when Ohio State's really good, and Michigan's mm-hmm. really, like, like this past year, where Michigan, Ohio State, and Wisconsin were all really good, and Penn State, too, when they were all really good. You know, then you can make that argument. But it's the years where Michigan's a little down, or Penn State's not what they were this year, then you give it to the ICC. But on years where you know those top four teams are good, are really good, then you mm-hmm. can start making that argument when it really gets close. Yeah, like when Barkley was at PSU and like Michael Thomas and like those guys on the Buckeyes and like you had Melvin Gordon at Wisconsin. Like those are the years like where the team is like the conferences are probably equal. Yeah. I think the thing that differentiates them, though, is consistency. Okay. Okay, you know, Alabama, obviously, consistently good. Uh, you know, Florida's been, you know, for the last, you know, last two years now, you know, they've been good. You know, they, they've been consistently good. Auburn consistently is around nine to ten wins. Uh, LSU has been good. You know, where you get, like, Penn State every now and then will drop down into nine wins. Michigan has been underperforming. Under Harbaugh, you know, eleven wins, but you know, not what you know, not what they expected when they hired him. Ohio State's been consistently good, and then Wisconsin, you know, they're the one, you know, they have one side football where they, you know, they ground to pound. Yeah, they, they, do, they do the same thing over and over again, but they're just really good at it. Like, yeah. All right, so that wraps up our chitter chatter going on. We're gonna jump into the Marcus and Pierre interview. Uh, we'll, you know, you got, you guys will learn about him. We had to interview. That was a pretty good interview for us having him on. Gave us, uh, it was a lot of football talk, non-football talk. That was some good stuff from him. So we'll see you guys on the other side of that. 
right, guys. We are here joined with Marcus and Pierre. He's a West Point alum. He's an NFLPA certified advisor. Uh, Marcus, thank you for coming on, man. Oh, thank you guys very much for having me. I'm excited, and uh, it's it's great to be here. So just a little uh, backstory about Markinson and our relationship. I guess about what was that, two? How long ago was that? Like two or three weeks ago, maybe you followed us. Maybe about a month ago. Yeah, it was about a month ago. So uh, when we saw he followed us, we checked his profile. See that he is uh, he's, he's going to be giving us legal advice. We've reached out a few times, and Markinson has been uh, very helpful with us in times of need for legal advice. So thank you for that. Not a problem at all. I mean, I I. I learn a lot by doing some some uh, looking into stuff for you guys. So uh, thank you. <laughs> um, so so as I mentioned, uh, you you were an uh, univers- uh, army alum uh, about a year ago, maybe two years ago. We had Calvin Hopkins on. So this is our second army alum we had on. So let's start talking about uh, your time at West Point, uh, playing football there. Maybe you can walk us through some of the experiences you had. Uh, you know how difficult it was being. A student athlete at that a school of that caliber when it comes to academics. Yeah, so West Point was probably the hardest thing I've done in my adult life, um, but at the same time, it was definitely uh, one of the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Um, it is very challenging because it takes you out of your comfort zone. You know, you're coming in as a 18 year old. Um, if you don't have any kind of military background or any family in the military, you go from being a civilian to having to live a very uh, regimented life um, and not doing some of the things that you're used to doing or some of the things that your peers are doing at other schools across the country. Um, in addition to that, the academics are very challenging um, and you throw in the military aspect on top of being a division one athlete. Uh, so that is a, a lot that is on your plate that you have to figure out really quickly because um, no one is gonna cut you any slack. And for me, I would say the first uh, two years at West Point were probably the most difficult because it took some time to adjust to you know, being a cadet, to the military lifestyle and the academics and I was fortunate enough to to get the chance to travel and play as a freshman. Uh, so I was leaving school pretty much every Friday. And if it was an away game, I wouldn't be back until, you know, late Sunday. And you, you know, your teachers expect you to still maintain that academic rigor despite the extracurricular activities you have going on. So that was very challenging, but um, it was rewarding in the sense that I met my best friends at West Point. Uh, there's a group of five guys that I keep in touch with till this day, and we are very close. And if football is concerned, I definitely wish we won more football games. Uh, we went through some very trying times there um, on the football team, um, but the camaraderie and just pure learning how to um, overcome adversity. Um, that's something that I don't think I would have been able to learn anywhere else. Um, so that was my experience at West Point and the program is you know, definitely in a much better place now. And I'm still very connected to the program because I have a younger brother who is currently a sophomore at West Point and he's on the football team. So 
I find my way up there at least a couple times a year to check them out. Damn, that's awesome. I actually didn't even know you had a uh, brother that was on the team. I feel like that's an oversight on our part. But um, talking about your time at West Point, so I did some research before we had you on. Uh, when you, I know traditional school, like they have a lot of traditions going back uh, many years. Uh, do you remember like your, uh, is it a plebe year? Plebe year? Yeah, plebe year. Uh, how was that for you? Uh, you want to explain that for people who don't know? Uh, Plebe year is your first, your freshman year at the academy, and you know we're called plebes, and you're the lowest on the totem pole where you have all these duties you have to do from taking out the trash to laundry. Uh, you have to know uh, what is for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, not just for today but for the entire week, um, and in, in just in terms of your freedom of being able to casually walk to class. You're not able to do that. You have to cup your hands and walk at a certain pace. And and this is all the while you still have, you know, 18, 20 credit hours of class that you you have to maintain. Um, and you're away from home for, for most people, what is probably the very first time in your life. Um, so you can understand how just being in that environment um, can definitely <laughs> You know, unhinge a lot of people. And another aspect of it is that as a freshman, you're really not allowed to go off campus. Um, and so once you get there in July and you go through cadet basic training, you're there until Thanksgiving. And, and that is a very long time where, yes, you can talk to your family, but you're not going to see anyone. And chances are they're probably not going to come visit you. So it's a huge adjustment period for for everyone who, you know, at, a, at such a young age. Yeah, I mean, that, that has to be tough. I mean, your brother, you said he's a sophomore, so he probably, he just finished his year last year. So it's probably interesting that you and him can relate off, you know, if things have changed a little bit since you went through it and, you know, if things are still the same way. Uh, nothing is still the same, unfortunately. Um, there, Well, I wouldn't say nothing is still the same because the, the structure and the the uh, core of West Point is still the same, but the there's a reason why the academy has been so good, you know, for all this time. It's because they've been able to adapt, um, you know, with with the times changing. But I I talk to my brother every day. I, I I tell him that he has it easy because he has the benefit of me having gone through the process and making all the mistakes and just. Um, you know, going through the difficult times. And now there's really nothing that he goes through at West Point that I didn't go through myself or that um, I had I didn't experience. So I can really advise him uh, from a standpoint of uh, understanding what is giving him a hard time and, it, and what's going to happen um, with everything that he's doing. So, uh, <laughs> It's funny because he's here with me now. You guys know that school is is uh, all remote for the rest of this semester, and he's doing this semester um, uh, here with me remote. So I told him that's something that we probably would have never imagined um, when when I was a cadet to be doing an entire half of the semester away from West Point. That's just unheard of. But 
you know, changing times. He enjoys it, and um, and I think he's done a great job. Uh, he's doing a lot better than I ever did, but I told him it's because he has he has a a handicap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he's got a little like cheat sheet in you if uh, questions or anything really. Pretty much. Although, uh, one thing, I mean, I was pretty excited when our classes went to online. You know, we go to a community college. It's not that interesting. But uh, for a lot of people, because we have a lot of listeners from the West Coast, so they might they might not know or maybe they've never seen, but West Point is actually like a, a very visually ap- appealing campus. Like, I mean, I'm sure you didn't get much time taking the sites, but uh, it's like a beautiful campus. Oh, you are absolutely right. Um, it- to say it is visually appealing, I don't. I, I think that may even be an understatement. Yeah, I, I would agree now with that. that. Now that I'm not at West Point, I think you know it's for me. It's probably the most beautiful campus in America, in my opinion, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, but as a cadet, you have so much going on with academics, with military, physical, and just so much stress the last thing that you have time to do is is to just sit there and kind of take in how beautiful the place is because you just really don't have time. Maybe when you're a senior and you're on your way out and your load is a little lighter and and you just you just know more, you can enjoy it. But at that point, you're just thinking, when is graduation? When do I get out of it? Um, I've had a chance to go back to West Point quite a bit since I graduated in 2009. And every single time I, I see something different that like, I can't believe I was here for four years and I didn't really um, enjoy it as much. Uh, but it is a, an absolutely amazing place. And I think the people there are what makes it even better. Yeah, and just kind of just uh, go off what you just said, just about the campus. I mean, I've been yeah, you know, I've I've been to a lot of nice campuses, but it wasn't until, you know, once I kind of grew out of the let's just look at the stadium aspect. I mean, I went up there in 2018, I guess it was, because my buddy played, he plays at Lafayette and they played them. And I think that was like the second week of October. So the leaves were starting to turn, you know, right on the river there. I mean, when I say that, that campus outside the stadium, inside the stadium, to me, probably ranks you know, top three. And then the campus itself is the nicest campus that I've ever stepped foot on, uh, probably by a decent amount. Yeah, and I totally agree. And one thing that I've had the chance to do um, going back uh, to watch games is to get the full, you know, football experience of because West Point, what we do is uh, we have a parade before the game and then all Mm -hmm. the cadets walk up the hill to the stadium. Uh, As a football player, I never got a chance to to see that part of it because, you know, we just get bust to the stadium and we're there. Um, But to be able to get in the the full experience, uh, it is absolutely amazing. And going back to what you said, uh, going in early fall when the leaves are changing colors, it is so pretty. Um, that you you just almost you can't put it in words. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, that they yeah, so like whenever like my friends say they're going up, you know that's not a stadium you want to get to an hour before get in and sit down. You know you want to get there a couple hours before, walk around campus, take in the sights because you know when you walk around a campus like I mean we're close to Rutgers so I use them a lot, but you walk around Rutgers is really you know it's not much to be desired. But you know when you go to Army, you're looking at you know, historical statues. 
you know, there's cannons from, I think, every war that they could get their hands on. So you're looking at cannons that were, you know, these were pieces of history. These aren't replicas, you know, so that's something you want to get up there a couple hours before and take in because it's, it's, it's like a museum, and then you go in to watch a football game. Yeah, it, it is definitely worth the price of admission for sure. And, and they do an absolutely great job of, of showcasing it um, around events. Uh, but if, we're, if I'm ever up there around the same time you guys are trying to go up, I'll be more than happy to give you a personal tour. Ooh, I'm probably going to take you up on that one. <laughs> yeah, so I'll definitely be going up uh, at least a couple of times this upcoming football season bearing this coronavirus. Um, so uh, we can, I can let you guys know, and if you're, if you're up for it, I'll take you up there. Oh, yeah, you, I'll definitely be up for it. I mean, that's only about an hour and 15 minutes from us. Yeah. All right, so uh, to tra- transition a little bit, let's talk about uh, your football career at uh, West Point. Now, I know you said you guys didn't win a lot of games, um, but do you want to talk about uh, Army kind of, you said it built you for adversity a little bit. I, I think you said that. Maybe I imagined you saying that. But um, you played for two different head coaches at your time at Army? Do you want to talk did. about how that was for you? Yeah, I played for two different head coaches. I, I played um, defensive back and for us on the defensive side, it wasn't a lot of change because we maintained a lot of the defensive staff uh, through the two uh, coaching changeovers. But on the offensive side, when I came in, um, Coach Bobby Ross was the head coach and we were running a pro style offense. Uh, so you can imagine the kind of personnel that you need to run a pro style offense from the linemen to quarterbacks and the whole, the whole nine. And uh, I think after my sophomore year, um, we brought in a new coach. Uh, actually, we didn't bring in a new coach. We hired from within, and uh, we switched to the uh, triple option. So that was a big change for our offensive guys. Um, and, and it was definitely a challenge, I would say. And as you can see from the last... I would say really four years ever since Coach Monkey has been there, um, even dating back to Coach Ellison's times somewhat. Um, there's been a lot of success, uh, partly because, you know, obviously I think we have uh, a lot more continuity because Coach Monkey has been there since 2014, I want to say, and he's done a great job with uh, getting the administration as well as you know the football players to buy in into the brotherhood and you know as a former player seeing that it it makes me happy every Saturday wherever I am in the world to see Army play because uh, believe it or not it it, it kind of sets the mood for me for the week if we win um, so it is something that I take to heart. Yeah, so with your brother being there, probably even it matters even more for you. And you know, you belong to the program, and you know, you kind of built it. So it's probably pretty cool for you to see, like, you know, how it's doing now because you were there, like, at the start of it. Yeah, um, a- absolutely. Because I I tell a lot of people um, that you know, football has gotten me to where I am now, and specifically Army football. Uh, obviously, like I said earlier, winning would have been great, right? Everybody loves winning. Um, but everything that I learned as a leader to go lead soldiers in, you know, in combat environment, everything that I need for the corporate world, I learned all of that 
you know, being at West Point, being a West Point football player. So in, in many ways, um, it shaped who I am as, as an adult. So having a younger brother who's there now, um, it means even more to me and I'm, you know, that much more connected to the program. So um, it is something that is special for me. Yeah, I can't even imagine what that must be like. Um, so my, I have one more question about your playing career. And it's about a teammate you had. I don't know if you have any stories about him or if you remember him, but you played with a guy named Alejandro Villanueva. Yep, I, Alejandro was uh, was on our, our team. Uh, we played, I think we had, we overlapped by two years, I want to say. Um, so do you remember anything about him, how he was in, like at Army? Like, do you know, like, Oh, this guy's a little bit different than the rest of us. Or? Yeah, well, you can definitely see it when you uh, when you see him out there. He he's a huge guy. Um, you know, I think he's about six eight at the time. He was probably pushing close to three hundred pounds, um, but he looks like you know a model. He's <laughs> he say he was shaped very. Uh, I mean, he had a very great body for a guy his size, and. Um, you know, my, I think his freshman year, we played, I mean, the, he played on defense, on the defensive line, uh, and then I think he moved to offensive line for some time, and at some point his senior year, they moved him to wide out. Um, so he played all over the place at Army, um, but, I mean, he's a, he's a great guy. He was a, an absolutely great teammate, um, but he was a little bit younger than me. I think he was either a year or two years younger than me, but... Um, what I can recall is that he was an amazing teammate and we always knew like, man, like if, if he gets the opportunity somewhere, there's someone can develop him and, and, and he can turn into, into something great. Yeah. I think like what you just said, especially about Alejandro, cause I mean, we talk about it, like a lot of people will see army on the schedule and say, well, you know, it's army, you know, it's a pushover game. But I, I, I tell a lot of people like, you know, they're linemen. You're not going to get your typical, like, power five guys who are 320. Some of them are sloppy. Like, their linemen are going to be big, agile, and they're going to be able to stay on the field and move. And these guys hit just as hard as anybody. I mean, the guy I just told you uh, who played at Lafayette, he texted me the next day, and he said, dude, that, that was, like, painful. Like, I wasn't expecting to get hit. I think he bo- uh, broke both of his thumbs <laughs> in that game. So, I, there's, that's why, I mean, if, early on in the season, like before the season, actually, I said, watch them against Michigan. They're going to play Michigan tight, which they ended up playing Michigan very tight into overtime. So I think a lot of people now, you know, like two years later are starting to, you know, City Army is a real, Army is a real team. They're a threat to some people because of the kind of, you know, offense that they play. And, you know, your linemen there, like you just said, they're not your prototypical, you know, big sloppy linemen. They're not, you know, the typical hog that you see, but they're, you know, a lot better and, you know, physical shape because you know guys on Oklahoma who are pushing 350, you know they wouldn't get through basic training. Yeah, and, and believe it or not, Army currently has two offensive linemen who are in the NFL right now. Um, this is from a from a school that runs a triple option, but um, I think that's a great testament to what the coaching staff has done over the years, as well as um, the kind of guys they recruit, because. Um, Obviously, Army's not going to go out. We're not going to be able to go out and get um, the five-star guys or four-star guys uh, because of the uh, physical requirement of of needing to be an Army officer after you graduate, as well as um, 
you know, you have a military requirement. Um, but the guys that Army do recruit, uh, it's, those guys have heart. And, you know, not, it's one thing to, to just have the pure, you know, physical talent, but um, what's not on the surface, uh, you can't teach heart. And the one thing that I know that Coach Mumpkin and all those guys drill into, you know, all of the players is no one is going to work harder um, than, than us, you know, than the Army team. Uh, at the end of the day, if Army loses, it's not going to be well, it's not going to be because, well, they just, they just didn't show up today um, like, or they just didn't give any effort today. Uh, you know when you step on the field, whether it's at Mikey Stadium or anywhere else, um, you're going to get the absolute best that those guys, regardless of their size, has to offer. And you have to be ready to, to take it on for four quarters. And, that, and I think, you know, where we have a size disadvantage and maybe a talent gap, um, our effort and just pure intensity um, makes up for a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, every player at Army was you know, most probably the best player on their high school team was definitely all counties. So, I mean, they're still very good football players. And then on top of that, you know, they're going to be – they're not going to be making stupid penalties because they're going to be disciplined. Uh, they're going to be in better shape than most of the guys. So I think a lot of people don't realize these things going into, you know, Army week. Yeah, that is absolutely true. Um, and it, it's a combination of, uh, you know, you recruit guys who – yes, you have to be disciplined as a football player, but – when you understand that the discipline that you have on the football field carries over to the military side as well, and you know that's a life or death situation where, you know, if you're not, you know, doing what is you know right and and being disciplined and doing your job in the army, it's going to cost people their lives. Um, so when you can kind of correlate that together and put that in a football perspective and and teach your players that. Hey, it's not just I'm I'm gonna not be disciplined on the football field, but when I step out to be an army officer, I'm just gonna turn it on. You know, it all goes together. So what the 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 habits that you form now as a football player at West Point, it carries right over to when you graduate and go be an officer, and and it goes over to everything that you do. So um, I think it, it does give us an advantage because uh, you know not every school is in that same situation. Yeah, um, so that actually adds to my next point. Why, not a point. I wanted to transition into you talking about what was it like being an officer after West Point? You just talk about, like, briefly, like, uh, <coughs> sorry. Oh, man, you're um, calling Yeah. Uh, listen, <laughs> stay away. Six feet. Okay. All right. Um, all right, yeah, so my next point that I wanted to bring up on well, topic is I wanted to transition to your uh, your career as an Army officer after uh, West Point. Do you want to talk about, like, what some of your responsibilities were and, uh, you know, just just, just tell us about it, really, because, like, I don't know uh, anyone who's in the uh, Armed Forces or, or the Army, so I'd just like to hear, like, what you had to do and how that was. Yeah, so um, everyone who graduates from West Point, we go on to be second lieutenants in the Army. Uh, very, very few people cross branch into the Navy or Air Force or Marines. Um, but I was, I, I was a, um, I started off as a second lieutenant. I was logistics, uh, ordnance specifically, dealing 
primarily with ammunition and, um, and maintenance. And your first job as a second lieutenant is to be a platoon leader uh, or executive officer of a, comp of a company. Um, as a platoon leader, you have, depending on the size of your company, you have about anywhere from 30 to you know, 50 soldiers that you are responsible for. And that is in addition to all the equipment, the millions of dollars of equipment that, you know, that is all your equipment, you're responsible for it, and they give you a mission and they say go. Obviously there's guidance in terms of what you can and cannot do or you're supposed to do. But can you, you can imagine a 22, 23 year old, you know, graduating college in your first job they give you about 50 people that you are responsible for. And when I say responsible, I don't mean just, hey, when they're wearing the uniform, you need to make sure they're doing the right thing. But you're, you're responsible for them in every sense of the word, whether they're in uniform or not in uniform. If you have a soldier go out and you know do something stupid one weekend, you are there bailing them out. If you have a soldier go out and get a DUI, you get that phone call. All that responsibility is placed on you. And you don't always have the answers, but uh, the non-commissioned officer corps in the Army is, is absolutely great because you have these young lieutenants coming from West Point with no experience, but they expect you to lead. Um, so I was fortunate uh, when I became a lieutenant a uh, platoon leader in Fort Hood. Um, I had a great platoon sergeant who had been in the army for about 17 years. And, you know, I told him, hey, look, I'm in charge, but obviously you have a lot more experience than me. So I humbled myself and uh, I made sure to, to, to run everything by him and to, to really allow him to teach me um, what I needed to do. Um, so from that point, I was at Fort, in Fort Hood for about two and a half years. I went to Iraq for a year, um, came back, and I did some staff jobs. And my last job was as a company commander for uh, uh, advanced and in individual training unit out in Fort Gordon in Georgia. And what that was is, you know, soldiers who go into the army, they go to basic training. And after basic training, they go on to a specialty school where they learn whatever job they're going to be doing in the Army. So I was responsible for them at, at that phase. And at any given time, I probably had anywhere from 400 to 500 soldiers in my company that you know I was responsible for. And I did that job for about two years. Um, it was very rewarding because um, it was a great opportunity to see soldiers at the lowest level who have aspirations to be uh, great things in the army and they're just starting out, you know, just really fresh and being in a position where I can influence them in a good way and set those um, really good habits that that's going to carry them for years to come in their military careers. Um, so I enjoyed that a lot. That was probably my my best assignment. It was definitely you know, the hardest, but at the same time, um, there are soldiers that I had in my company from that time period to this day that I keep in touch with and 
you know, I check in on them and they check in on me. So uh, that's essentially my military career in a nutshell. So, so the one thing you just said, where, um, <clears throat> you know, sometimes you have to like discipline guys, you know, whether they're going out, getting a DUI, like how much of that was, you know, you're kind of learning the job. Because I'm sure at West Point, one of the things they didn't teach you was, you know, what to say to a person after they go out and do something stupid and, you know, had like real life scenarios. So how was that, I guess, adjusting to that in the real world, you know, a kind of scenario where you have to kind of reprimand a guy but you also don't want to rip into them too bad. So how, how much of that, like it was an adjustment for you? Yeah. Uh, so I would say where it comes into play is when you're, I think as a company commander, when you're a captain and you're as a captain, you're probably four, five years in the army. That's when you literally, you have the ability to uh, impact the lives of soldiers in a huge way when they don't follow the rules, um, you can restrict them to the barracks for two weeks or a month. You can take money from them. Uh, you can dock their pay. Uh, there's a lot you can do. Uh, but, you know, it's not corporal punishment to where, um, hey, you do X, uh, this is going to be the punishment. So what it was for me, it's really looking at each situation individually. Um, because not every soldier is the exact same and not every, you know, crime, just like in the legal field is the same. There's, there's different elements and there's, um, different circumstances that differentiate them. But, um, early on for me, the first thing I would do is, is talk to my platoon sergeant, uh, who was really my trusted advisor. Imagine being a 22, 23 year old and you have soldiers who are, probably older than you um, are doing stupid things and you're supposed to be the disciplinarian. Uh, so I tried not to take it personal um, and I tried to keep it strictly professional in terms of um, saying, look, uh, this is not about me. It's about, you know, you, it's about the unit. Um, it's about us as a team. Um, and I would, every decision I made, it was me and my platoon sergeant. It was never just, hey, Lieutenant Pierre or Captain Pierre is making this decision. It was always um, I conferred with my platoon sergeant and based on, you know, whatever factors, this is what we decided would be the best um, uh, punishment or plan of action for this soldier. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of soldiers don't like that because, you know, they will question, well, soldier X did this, but you know, they only got this punishment and I only did this. Um, and so you find yourself in a place where uh, you may have to explain some things that, you know, some of your reasoning or your approaches. Um, but what always worked for me is that I was always approachable. Um, regardless of where I was or what I was doing, my soldiers knew that they could always approach me and ask me questions, and I and I never saw myself uh, as being above or better than anyone. So, and that kind of um, reduced a lot of the, of the ish soldier issues that I had when soldiers knew that, you know, I was I had their best interest at, in mind at all times. So, uh, when you you first followed us, I was reading your bio, and the West Point alum struck me. Also, an NFLPA certified uh, contract advisor. So how did you get that? And like, what does that exactly mean? So in order to negotiate contracts for 
you know, football players, uh, you have to take an exam that is administered by the NFLPA. It's administered once a year in D.C., and uh, it's, a two, it's over the course of two days. It's a pretty lengthy exam, um, and if you pass, you, it, I think it has a it depending on the it depends on the year, but it has about 40 percent pass rate. It fluctuates, you know, year by year. So once you pass that exam and you clear the background checks and you pay the uh, the insurance, you become, you know, an agent and you can officially um, negotiate contracts, recruit. We can officially recruit college football players and negotiate contracts for guys uh, who are either in the NFL or trying to get to the NFL. Oh, that's awesome. So uh, was that test like uh, pretty hard like, compared to the, some of the stuff you did at West Point? And um, you know, have, have you had your first, uh, I, I guess, client would client would be the word, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, the um, studying for the NFLPA exam, uh, the, the biggest challenge was finding time to study while I was working full time um, because I was working um, as a lawyer uh, in Jacksonville while I was studying for the exam. Um, but you know, fortunately for me, having been to law school and taken the Florida bar exam, um, you know, that got me ready for pretty much everything that I, I would see on the NFLPA exam because at the end of the day, the NFL collective bargaining agreement, it's a legal document. So uh, with my background, I think I had an advantage of being able to, to read it and understand it um, without, you know, a lot of effort. But it still took, you know, time for me to, you know, sit down, you know, study. And because there's a lot of things that are nuanced. Um, so I, it was challenging, but I felt like I was prepared because of my background in, in the law. Um, as far as clients is concerned, I got certified. So everyone who took the exam with me in July 2019, uh, we got the results, I think, in early August. And the process after the results come out, you pass to clearing the background check, to getting the insurance, through everything, you get certified officially in mid-October. So up until then, you're not supposed to recruit guys. You're not supposed to do anything. Um, so getting certified in mid-October, pretty much kind of towards the end of college football season, you're a brand new agent. And if you're not with some big agency, you're supposed to go out there and find guys and recruit guys. And, you know, it's very late in the game because – most of those guys have been talking to agents, um, you know, since the summer, and and here you are saying, "Hey, I'm an agent and I'm new. I want to represent you." So it is definitely a challenge, but you know, I, that that didn't stop me. I um, I definitely hit the road. I recruited uh, a lot in the state of Florida. I went to as far as uh, North Carolina and recruited guys. So um, there's a couple of guys who are, you know, UCF guys that I went, you know, pretty far in the process. They chose to go with a different agent who had more experience than me. But at the end of the day, that was a great learning experience for me. Um, but uh, towards the end of the process, I was able to sign uh, my first client that I'm co-representing with another um, agent who is out of Alabama. So 
uh, we have he has multiple clients, but uh, right now um, I have one client that I'm representing for this upcoming draft. And uh, so that's where we are. Being officially certified in October and getting one client and a co-representing another, and that's not really uh, it's not too bad for the short turnaround you had. Yeah, I mean it's uh, you know I think you know it's really what you put into it because you can look at it from the standpoint of hey you know I got certified late I'm going to just wait for the next year um, and really hit the ground running. Or you can take advantage of the time that you get from October until, because most guys sign with agents, I would say late December, January. So you, you have all that time, you know, do something with it. If you sign someone, um, you know, great. If not, at least put forth the effort and, and get after it. And, you know, I was fortunate to, to get an audience with uh, quite a few guys, um, but um, so this, the, the one guy that I'm representing, uh, Breon Sanchez, he's a uh, tight end out of Murray State. He was a former basketball player, huge guy, 6'8", 260. So he's definitely got great upside and, um, you know, he could be a great target uh, for any team down in the red zone. Um, so Mark Bailey is the guy that I'm representing him with. Um, so Mark, you know, started the conversation. And uh, so that's where we are with with uh, with Breon. And um, but I'm definitely looking forward to see what happens, you know, with this cycle um, and, you know, next year and the years after that. So, so being yeah. involved with the. Uh... Oh, sorry, sorry, you go first. Yeah, so, so being involved with the uh, NFLPA, like, do you got any inside scoop for us? So you could, you know, some breaking news you could drop for us right now that we get uh, get our hands on. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I have some in any inside scoops. Uh, as you guys know, everything is pretty much at a standstill right now with the current, you know, COVID nineteen situation. Um, so there's not a whole lot going on. This is unprecedented times in terms of uh, activity because you know from the football perspective we're about what let's say what eight days away from the draft and this is when a lot of guys and teams would be doing interviews and uh, site visits but none of that is happening right now so as far as the nflpa is concerned the guidance that they've been putting out is is just um hey this is what we we know coming from you know the health advisors in terms of what teams are able to do and not do um but everything is going to be virtual. As you guys know, the draft is going to be conducted virtually. And, you know, until further notice, everything from training camp to everything, the mini camp will be virtually. And uh, that's just where we are right now as in sports and in society. I, I just need any sports back, really. Like, I, I was hoping you'd be like an inside scoop, you know. I was told that it's coming back, we'll be on time. But uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Not. I, really, I really wish I had that information, but um, I, it's it's just a situation that no no one really knows um, when we'll get back to normal, um, and and I think it hurts a lot of guys, especially uh, guys who were who did not get a combine invite and who are counting on their pro day to um, to really you know, display their, their, their stuff. Um, but like my client, uh, he, his pro day was scheduled two weeks uh, prior to 
uh, well, well, two weeks before this all unraveled. Um, so yeah, I, I really wish we, we knew when we would be going back and, and whether or not we'd be on time. But unfortunately, we just don't have that information right now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like no one really knows. But um, so we just have the uh, one follow question uh, about your time at Army. Answer that, and then we could uh, let you go. Okay. All right. So uh, I, it's from Kyle, and he said, "Do you agree that Army has the most underrated unis in all of college football?" I think Army has the best uniforms in college football, and I'm not being biased. Uh, uh, just to be clear, um, especially the Army Navy uniforms. I mean, I don't know how I don't know how much attention you guys pay to to them, but the detail, like the amount of details that go into making those uniforms, it is it is amazing. Um, at the end of February. Uh, one of my really good friends, who's part of the group of you know, five guy friends that I keep in touch with at Army, he uh, he works for Nike in the Nike World headquarters in Portland, and uh, we did our guys trip out in Portland this past February, and we got a chance to sit down with uh, the woman who designed the Army Navy uniforms, um, and we sat down with her for about an hour and a half, and she went into very you know detailed about everything that goes on to it from the story because the way the uniforms are designed is they will pick a unit a division in the army and essentially tell the story of that division through you know maybe a conflict that they had you know that they you know whether it was world war one world war two or you know gulf war um so they really go into the history and tie that in with the football program and with west point and for the casual fan just watching, it looks like just another pretty uniform. But um, for the people at Nike and for the people who are connected with the military, especially the people uh, who served in those units, um, seeing those colors on national television where Army is the only Division One game on, um, it is it is something that is you know can't be described and. I mean, I think the, the uniforms absolutely look amazing. I think our uniforms look much better than Navy's every single year. Um, so, you know, I just wish I'm a little jealous because I think my my senior year we had that was the very first year we did uh, the uniform stuff where we had the camouflage pants and camouflage helmets. And since then, it has exploded to full on just the full-on uniform and and just a lot of details and very interesting stuff so uh i'm always jealous of my little brother but i tell him just make sure you get me a t-shirt or something <laughs> so uh that's actually really great because uh i guess i'll ask you this way is uh do you have a favorite army uniform like if you had to pick one and matt give me yours too because i know what mine is and then i'll share it with you guys after Right, so uh, my favorite, so my favorite army uniform is definitely the first cav, uh, first cavalry division uniform uh, from the army navy game um, this past year. Uh, partly because I served in the first cavalry division when I went to Iraq, I was with first cav. So um, as a soldier who was in the unit, who knows the unit history, um, 
it was very exciting for me to see, you know, the Army football team that means a lot to me wearing a uniform that is tied to, to a unit that I served with in combat. What's, uh, what's y'all's favorites? Uh, I'm picking between so, two right um, now. So John, you go, you go first. No, you go first because I'm picking between oh. two still. Oh, okay. So I am going to say that the first Cavalry uh, Division ones, those are uh, those are actually pretty fresh. I, I didn't know. I had to Google them because I don't know the unit names like you do. Obviously, I'm not in the Army, so it would be pretty weird if I didn't know the exact if, unit. If you tell me the color, I'll tell you which unit. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. Um yeah, but those ones are pretty cool. I mean, the green numbers, I think, really tied it in really well. It's amazing, man. Um, it's so pretty. Yeah, so for me, my favorite one. Oh, actually, I'm going to tell you what it was. It's uh, the black and red ones. So that so is... You know what that was uh, representing. That is uh. Big Red One. Uh, they're out of Fort Riley, Kansas. Damn, that is impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, those yeah, were those are my favorite. Those black uniforms were fresh. Like, like those were fresh. That was pro- that would probably be my second best if I if I wasn't in first cap. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if the Army Navy game was a night game, those would be like, uh, maybe, maybe even go back to them because like that those would have been so nice at night. I actually bought one because uh, I really? don't know if Fanatics is, but they're they were on sale for like forty four dollars, and I was like, listen, I would buy this, but this is just as good. That's awesome. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and then th- there was another thing i wanted to say about these really quickly oh my second one if i had to pick a second was uh the year when it snowed at the army navy game a few years back and army was wearing all white all white that's uh that's 10th mountain division that unit is out of uh new york it's out of fort drum new york so those were really fresh um so uh that was that was really good uh, oh my God! That just brings back memories because I can remember the game, you know, because it snowed and you know those games were close. Um, another one of my favorite was the 82nd Division uh, One. It's the one that has the uh, the big numbers, like I think it was gray uniform with really big white numbers. Um, yeah. Uh, interestingly, so that was we were that, that, that's when we broke the streak. I think it was what 12 13 years and my brother was at the game yeah. that was his very first army navy game and you know we won and and i i almost cried and i tried to explain to him like the meaning of it for me he was like man it was just a great game and they won and then army won three games in a row and when i tried to tell him uh Man, you just are lucky. Y'all get good uniforms, and you've never experienced an army uh, lost to navy until this year, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, those uniforms are are just just so fresh. Yeah, so, so my my original pick was going to be the big red one because I like I I really do like that color scheme. Even though the red's not in the traditional uniform, I I thought it looked really well, really nice. But now that I'm looking at some other ones, like I see the I have the uh, digi the dig camo ones. Those yeah. are really nice as well. I just like digital camo uniforms. Like I know the I'm a baseball guy, so I know the San Diego Padres have a digital camo home uniform that they wear, and I think that just looks really nice. Yeah. But so the, I'm the looking at a lot of the uniforms are all pretty nice. Yeah, I'm, we while I was in uh, Portland, we were all trying to get her to to give us 
some scoop about what next year's uniform will be, but she was very tight-lipped and she was like, eh, nope. It's <laughs> funny. But I know whatever it turns right, well, out, she's going to definitely do a great job. Oh, yeah, no, I look forward to these every year. And, uh, you know, one thing that, uh, last, last thing, and then we're done, uh, is that Air Force lately has been getting in on the uniforms. I, I know... People really don't think of them a lot. They think of the service academies, but they had one this year, and it honored, uh, I think, a, one of the planes they have, and it was awesome. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. I'll send it to you. Okay, you can send it to me. I would love to see it. I, I probably I vaguely saw it, but I definitely want to take a look at it again. Um, I think, so uh, to my knowledge, uh, Navy is the only one who's not Nike, but Air Force is a Nike school. So Navy, they're Under Armour being in uh, Baltimore, but um, you know Air, Air Force's uniform, they're fresh. Uh, but if we had to put Army's uniform against Air Force's, I think we'd probably win by a landslide. Oh no, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so I just googled it. The the uh, Army, the Air Force uniform was to uh, honor the C-17. Okay, yeah, so. send just send that to me. I'd love to take a look at it. Yeah, I I just had it to you, but um. So if you don't have anything else to say, I think that wraps us up. Yeah, the only thing I want to say, thank you guys very much for having me on. Um, I definitely enjoy your content on the podcast as well as some of the stuff you guys um, put on your Twitter account. So thank you all very much. I'll definitely be uh, engaging. Um, so I appreciate the opportunity to be on with y'all. And stay safe up there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You uh, too. Martin, yeah. Thank you for coming on, man. Thank you for your service. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, yeah, and same to you. Stay safe down there, and let's hope this all gets through so we can get back to some sports, right? All right, Ace. I beat Navy. All right, guys. So that will wrap up this week's episode. Obviously, stay tuned on Twitter to see if we do anything unique, maybe a uh, live podcast type thing. Um, so we'll catch you guys. Any news we see, fake news on these guys committing to these schools in NCAA 14, we'll keep our eyes out for that. Uh, but we'll catch you guys on the next week's episode and everyone stay in, stay safe.